This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Talk to nicely. If you want to support the podcast and help me continue to provide the best horror stories, feel free to sign up to my Patreon. Here you will receive early access to all of my podcast episodes. You will also get access to my archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Thank you. Now back to the story. Before I can think of something to say, several men and women are moving toward me, their faces hard with determination. I glance at Ralph, who has a terrified look on his face. His mouth hangs open. He's been sent here by the demon Luke Richards. Paul shouts. Whosoever stands with him stands against God. No, I say, standing up and tensing. They're coming from all directions. No, this is crazy. Don't listen to the demon's words. Pastor Paul shouts. It'll say anything to get out of being sent back to hell. But fear them not. The demons have no power in this house of God. The first man to get to me is Kenan, the youth pastor. Kenan, you don't really believe this, do you? I ask him, taking a step back from the aisle. But I can hear other people working their way toward me from behind, squeezing toward Ralph and his family. Kenan doesn't answer me. His eyes are flat, his jaw tensed. God, help me, I think as Keenan steps toward me. His hands held out in front of him. I hear the sound of a fist striking flesh, followed quickly by a sharp exhalation. Backing away from Keenan, I risk a glance over my shoulder just in time to see Ralph throw another punch at the man who was flanking me. The man collapses and Ralph steps over him. This way, he says to me and his family. The violence seems to give Keenan pause. As I turn my head toward him, he's staring past me at the man on the floor. The church is silent for a good 10 seconds. The only people moving are me and the Fuller family. It's like everyone's waiting to see what everyone else will do. Pastor Paul is on stage, frozen with his face up toward the heavens, his arm cast skyward. Let us out, Mac, I say as we get to the nave doors. The ones Mac locked just before the service started. Mac swivels his head from me to Pastor Paul. We just wanna leave, Mac, I whisper, pleading. Just let us leave. Mac ignores me, his eyes fixed on his spiritual leader. Unable to help myself, I turn my own eyes that way, seeing that the whole congregation has done the same. Everyone except the man Ralph knocked out with his two punches. Paul is still frozen in his strange posture, but he doesn't stay that way for long. His head comes down to face forward again, but his arms stay up. His face is flushed pink, a series of veins standing out at his temples and on his forehead. His cheeks shake as his head vibrates. His eyes are nearly blinding in their ferocity. He's insane, I think. Get them, he screams. Get the black-eyed demons. Chaos erupts in the nave as half the congregation rushes towards us while the other half, apparently still in possession of their senses, tries to stop them. Some people argue, trying to talk sense. Let them go. Do what he says. God is good. Demons among us. 
Kill the demons! I whip around to see Mac and Ralph choking each other in front of the double doors. Janet grasps Helen, both of them frozen with fear. Stepping forward, I reach into Mac's pocket to retrieve the set of keys. As I pull the keys out, I'm hit from behind, and I slam into Ralph and Mac, hitting my head on the side of Mac's skull. The three of us go down, and I drop the keys in the process. There are suddenly bodies all around us. Hands reach down from the fray, sharp nails scraping across my face. Someone pulls my hair. A knee smashes into my temple. The air is filled with the sounds of violence. The scents of perfume and cologne battle with coffee breath and detergent as people go crazy. Above all the shouting and the sounds of fighting, I can hear Pastor Paul ranting and raving from the stage. He's listing the names of so-called demons in the room over and over again, prompting his people to attack them. I punch up as hard as I can, not caring who I hit. Mac and Ralph are still struggling, wrestling with each other nearby. As I back up, trying to get enough room to stand, I find the keys. It's a large ring with perhaps two dozen keys on it. I grip the key ring in my hand, positioning it so several keys stick up through my fingers like claws. Punching out with the makeshift weapon, I produce some screams and create enough room to get up. As I get to my feet, I hear Janet shout, Ralph! She cries, nothing but fear in her voice. I look toward the source of the sound, over the heads of the brawling congregation, to see that she and Helen are being ushered back towards the same door Pastor Paul came out. A man and woman I recognize, the Amaros, are doing the ushering. A man lunges at me, and I punch him in the throat with the keys, puncturing his skin. He backs away with wide eyes, gripping his throat. I swipe at another couple of guys who have their sights set on me, keeping them at bay for now. I quickly decide that I need to get out of here and get help. I don't know if the Amaros are friends or hostiles, but Ralph's wife and daughter are on their own now. As I turn toward the door, I realize that I have no idea which key unlocks it, and there's no way I'll have time to figure it out. Ethan! Janet calls out. Bring Ralph! As I'm momentarily distracted, Keenan comes flying out of nowhere, tackling me to the ground. I land hard on my left side, but manage to hold onto the keys this time. Keenan's hands go toward my face, and he jabs a thumb into my left eye socket. I scream out, turning my head and then bucking to get him off me. He punches me in the side of the head, then goes for the eye again. I can feel his nail digging into my eyelid as he tries to gouge out my eyeball. I convulse and buck again, and this time get enough clearance to scramble away. But I don't get far before he's on me again. This time, I'm ready. I slash out with the keys in my hand, scraping them across his face. He screams out, clutching his face and falling backward. As I get up, I can only see out of my right eye. Something's wrong with my left, and I'm worried Keenan has done permanent damage. But as I look over to where Ralph and Mac were fighting, I can see well enough to know that something terrible has happened. Ralph is face down near the door, a pool of blood spreading out on the polished hardwood floor. Mac is standing now, and he slams the heel of his cowboy boot down into the back of Ralph's head. I cry out and lunge toward the older man. But it's clear to me now that the demon chasers are winning. A group of three men and two women are moving to surround me, so I run. Dashing along the back wall, I made it to the corner of the room and turn right to sprint down the aisle on the far left side of the church. An 18-year-old kid, one of the Harlow boys, tries to stop me, but I bowl him over. Get him! Pastor Paul is shouting from the stage, pointing at me. The demon is escaping! 
I slam against the side door, Janet, Ellen, and the Amaros went through, trying to open it. It's locked. I'm sure one of the keys on the key ring will open it, but I don't know which one. Let me in! I shout. Let me in! It's Ethan! Behind me, those not actively engaged with other church members are bearing down on me. Let me in! Just before the large group gets to me, the door opens and I slip through, shutting and locking it behind me. Janet looks up at me. Helen and the Amaras are standing huddled in the middle of the classroom. Ralph? Janet asks over the pounding on the door. I shake my head. I'm sorry, I tell her, but we need to get out of here. Blood drips into my right eye from where the woman scratched me. I wipe it absently away, blinking constantly for brief moments of unobstructed vision. There's another doorway in the classroom to my right, leading out to a small hallway. I'm keenly aware that the door on the other side of the nave leads to that same hallway. And I don't know if it's locked or not. If it is, Pastor Paul surely has the keys to it. Just as he surely has the keys to the door I just came through. But it seems that he's too swept up in religious fervor to think rationally or logically. I can hear him shouting through the wall, screaming about demons everywhere. I look at Perez and Linda Amaro through my blurred vision. They stare back at me with wide brown eyes. They're in their 50s. Perez is dressed in a blue and white striped shirt with black slacks. Linda wears a sparkly black skirt and a blue blouse. They're looking to me for guidance. They all are. Let's go, I say. There is one window in this classroom, but it has the same locked shutters on it that the ones in the nave do. But I know there's an emergency exit door at the back of the building. It should let us out without needing to go through all the keys still gripped in my right fist. As we start toward the door to the hallway, the banging on the nave door stops. I pause and look over my shoulder. Pastor Paul is no longer speaking. The only thing I can hear is the low pleading from people out in the nave, begging. I swallow involuntarily, my mouth suddenly dry. The way all the noise stopped at once, it's not natural. There was no signal I heard. No one even shouted stop. They all just stopped. Demon! Pastor Paul shouts. I jump as a gunshot follows. Uh, demon! Black-eyed demon! They're killing them! Linda screams. Silence from the nave. Get them! Come on! I shout, running to the hallway door. I pull it open to reveal the staircase down to the basement just ahead. To get to the emergency exit, we need to go past the staircase to the other side of the hall where we'll take a left down a smaller hallway to the door. But as soon as I step out into the hall, people come pouring through the other nave door. Half of them are splashed with blood, and they all look insane. They rush toward us, leaving only one way to go, downstairs. So that's where we go, running down the wooden steps and ducking into the first room we see. Chairs are stacked along three of the walls, and there's a storage shelf on the wall next to the door. The five of us get inside, and I slam the door shut, locking it from the inside. Perez immediately starts pulling stacks of chairs over, and I move to help him. People are banging on the wooden door before we get the first stack over, but they don't come through. And pretty soon, we have the door barricaded as best we can with the chairs. With that done, I look around at the two small hopper windows near the ceiling. They have hinges at the bottom, so they open from the top and tilt inward which will make it hard for us to use them as an escape route. In fact, I can tell by looking that the only person who can fit through is Helen. It's the only option we have. 
because it's just a matter of time before the people at the door break through. I can already hear the door cracking as they bang on it. Helen, I say, going up to the frightened 16-year-old. I need you to go get help, okay? We'll get you out one of these windows, and you flag down the first person you see and have them call the police, okay? Helen looks up at her mom, her lip quivering. Janet takes her daughter's face in her hands and says, You can do this. Once you get out there, you give them hell. I find it a strange thing to say, but I shrug it off. Helen nods. Okay, she says, a look of determination on her face. As I put Max's keys in my pocket, I turn around and step to the shelf near the door, finding a small crowbar among other common tools there. Perez moves, grabbing a chair and setting it under the back window. My first inclination is to smash the glass with the crowbar, but that will surely alert the mob to our plan. And if they get outside to surround us, we're all dead. I step up onto the chair and open the hopper window as wide as it will go, which isn't more than six inches. They're designed for ventilation and to let in light, not to have people crawl in and out. I'm sure there's some way to remove the entire window, but I have no idea how to do it. I better figure it out quickly. I swipe sweat and blood away from my right eye with the back of my hand. Hand me the flathead screwdriver, I tell Perez. He does, grabbing it from the shelf. Janet and Linda are pressing against the stacks of chairs barricading the door. The top left corner of the wooden door is cracked, and I can see hands shoving through, trying to remove the flimsy wood so they can reach in and topple the chairs. I hand Perez the crowbar and he hands me the screwdriver. I bring the small tool up and try to work at what looks like a locking mechanism on a hinge. But my hands are shaking so badly, I can't get the tip of the tool in the small locking mechanism. My fine motor functions are shot from the adrenaline and the pain. And it doesn't help that I can only see out of one eye. Even then, there's blood and sweat getting into it. I throw the screwdriver down and stick my hand out for the crowbar. Perez slaps it into my hand. I try not to think about how long it will take for Helen to get help. By the time she does, the rest of us will surely be dead. But it's something. Saving her life is something. I stick the curved end of the crowbar between the hinge and the frame, then yank down on the tool, trying to break the hinge arm off. It works. One hinge off, one to go. I have to get down from the chair and move it to the other side to work on the second hinge. I do the same thing, sticking the curved end between hinge and frame. I yank down but I do it too hard. The hinge arm snaps off and the entire window falls, banging against the wall underneath and shattering the glass. You're going out the window! A crazed woman yells from the other side of the door. Helen! I shout. Come on! I jump down from the chair and tip it over to get the glass shards off of it. Then I put it directly underneath the window, tossing the crowbar aside in the process. Helen jumps up onto the chair. Perez and I boost her up. She gets her head and arms through fine, but her butt scrapes against the narrow frame as she goes out, leaving no doubt in my mind that she's the only one of us who can fit through there. As soon as she's out, she turns around and sticks her hand through the window. The keys, she says. Give me the keys. Thank God for you, girl, I think. I hadn't even thought about that. When the police get here, they'll need the keys to get inside. I dig them out of my pocket and hand them out to her. She takes them and darts off. I watch as she runs away. I soon lose her from view, but I hear shouting from outside in the direction she went. My heart sinks. 
Please, God, let her get away, I think. Please. As soon as I finish the thought, I hear screams from outside. But it's not Helen screaming. That much, I know. Still, I wince as the awful, pain-filled screams reach my ears. Help! Perez shouts, pulling me back to reality. I turn to see him, Janet, and Linda all pressed up against the stacks of chairs barricading the door. After picking up the crowbar, I run over and put my weight and muscle into it. When I see a hand come through the broken top corner of the door, I jump up and bash it with the crowbar, keeping them from pushing the stacks over. Suddenly, the sound of semi-automatic gunfire erupts from upstairs. The people trying to break into the storage room let up slightly. There's yelling and more gunfire from upstairs, and it's getting closer. Get down! Get down on the ground now! A man shouts from the basement hallway. A second later, more gunshots. The thump of bodies hitting the floor is clearly audible. There's no longer anyone pushing on the door from outside. You people okay in there? The voice calls out. We're okay! Janet calls out. Did you see my daughter? The girl's fine. The voice says. She's out with my colleagues now. You can open the door. I'm a police officer. We move the stacks of chairs away from the door and then open it to reveal a man in tactical gear with police markings. Don't look at them, he says to us, talking about the bodies all over the floor. But it's hard not to look. He escorts us upstairs and through the back exit. I can only imagine what the nave looks like, how many bodies are in there. But as we go around the side of the building, the same side Helen ran around, I see police officers covering yet more bodies with tarps. The thing is, these bodies weren't shot, as far as I can tell. There are limbs scattered on the grass around the church building as if a bomb went off or as if something tore them apart. What happened to them? I asked the cop. Just keep going, sir, he says. Don't look at the bodies, it's all over now. He escorts us around to the front where I see Helen sitting in the back of an ambulance. She's covered in blood. Janet runs up to her daughter and wraps her in a hug. Helen looks over her mother's shoulder at me and she smiles. Something happens to her eyes, like a flicker of darkness passing through them. It's so fast, and my vision is so messed up, I'm not even sure if I saw it. But the memory lingers in my mind as a paramedic comes up to check on me. The memory of a curtain of black falling over Helen's eyes. Something Pastor Paul said suddenly comes to mind. He said, The demons have no power in this house of God. But what about outside the house of God, I wonder? I shrug it off as I answer the paramedic's questions while she leads me to a different ambulance. But as we go, I see Luke Richards approaching from further back in the parking lot. I pull away from the paramedic and run up to him, gripping him by his shirt collar. You knew! I scream in his face. You knew this was going to happen! Why'd you tell me to come? Luke is the polar opposite of how he appeared last night. He's smirking, confident, and calm. You just answered your own question. Luke says. How? I shout, pulling him closer. I blink furiously, bringing him into clear focus for short moments at a time. How did you know this would happen? He told me, Jake says. How else do you think? God? I ask. God told you? Jake smirks. It doesn't matter, he says. It's all done with. I told you to come because I knew. I knew you'd be the one to make sure everything turned out okay. Okay? I scream, gesturing at the circus in front of the church. 
You call this okay? People are dead. Murdered. Yes, Luke says. Some of them are. But the important thing to remember is that your people are fine. June and Brandon at home waiting for you. And you'll be a hero. A hero who defeated a deranged pastor who went on a murder spree. Jake pauses as he brings his lips close to my ear. It seems that God isn't what he used to be. I step away from him, stunned into silence. He takes care of his own, Luke says, smiling. And as he's turning away, something happens to his eyes, like a flicker of darkness moving through them. It's so fast, and my vision is so messed up, I'm not even sure I saw it. But the memory lingers in my mind, the memory of a flash of black covering Luke's eyes. What did Pastor Paul call them? I think, black-eyed demons. <laughs>